What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? It's your co-host, Ridge, back with another episode of the Just Goes to Show pod in 2023-24 season. Yeah, we're back. The prem is back. Uh, we still remember how to do this, it turns out, which is nice. It's been a minute. But uh, it's it feels nice to get back. And I mean, I was just so giddy this weekend for Premier League action. Uh, Saturday was just a lovely day on my couch and uh, just constantly refreshing apps and um, checking on other games and things like that. It, Twitter, it was, it felt like we were just right back into the mix. And it's one of the best parts of the Premier League is the break is just not that long. You know, you just got to hold out for a couple of summer months and then you're just right back into the thick of it. Whole new season ahead of us. And, uh, you know, already devastated with uh, the Villa result, but overall just, just really giddy about the Premier League being back. Yeah, same. It's funny. Yeah, that is like my ideal of ideal fun, right? It's like sitting on my app or sitting on my sitting on the couch on a Saturday watching just three consecutive matches of Premier League scroll like frantically scrolling on my phone to refresh Twitter as well as my FPL app to see if I got any points. Um, inevitably don't and then, you know, vent frustration through our our group text um, about uh, the way the way our teams are playing because it's never really going that well. No, it, it's not. But at the same time, I, I really wouldn't have it any other way. It was it was very fun to get back into it and absorb what was happening. This past week has been insane. Uh, off the pitch too, just so much news on the transfer market. Big names everywhere moving. We got all the Saudi Arabia drama. We got people going to the MLS, and then uh, you know couple of injuries now people are panicking thinking we got to bring more guys in you got the chelsea liverpool battle so um even the stuff that's not happening on the pitch has been non-stop and uh it just seems like for the next few weeks here until the window shuts it's going to be like that with just uh, a lot of chaos a lot of uh you know new faces and and people in new kits and it's great, man. I, I love it. I love this league. This league is, I, I love footy, but I really just love this league. It is, it's, there's so much drama. It's so over the top. People are so obsessed and it's, it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, and then uh, just before we kick into um, our biggest winners and losers of week one, we're really just going to be breaking down the first week of the Premier League uh, now that we're back and then uh, forecasting a little bit uh, over the coming weeks, things that Chris and I are excited about or um, kind of noteworthy talking points. Just a quick thank you to, to all the listeners. Very cheesy to thank your listeners on a podcast, but um, I, you know, Chris and I have been doing this on and off now for a couple years, and uh, I realize we haven't said this on the pod in a while, Chris. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think it was like five or six years almost now. Dang. Which is um, it was wild, and, but go ahead. Yeah, and I was just gonna say we're we're just north of uh, thirty five hundred listens all time. So that's thirty five hundred times people have chosen to listen to us talk about footy. Um, so just appreciate that. It's always fun to check that those stats. Chris and I just, I mean, we enjoy recording this stuff and just uh, kind of therapeutically digesting um, our our Premier League consumption with each other. But um, you know, it's nice that people listen as well so yeah just a quick thank you appreciate y'all um i don't know if you got anything to add on that chris so no, it's kind of sentimental that was, to me that was well said i agree thanks um well moving into biggest winners and losers of of week one uh chris let's let's start let's go positively let's start off with some winners who do you have biggest winners of week one yeah i have a few things written down here but i think i would be crazy to say that the biggest winner is anyone other than newcastle um 
I it's it's a, a tough one to talk about since we're both Villa supporters here, but Newcastle were out of control good from the kickoff, insane amount of energy. Villa looked like totally shell shocked. They were at least one step behind the whole match basically. Um, right out of the gates, it was like within ninety seconds. I think all of us were just sweating, just being like, oh, man, this could blow up. And it did. Um, and not only did they completely batter Villa, they could have had more goals. Martinez actually had some great saves. And they got a goal from Sandra Tonali, their new their new big signing. They got a bunch of action off the bench from Harvey Barnes, another new signing. I don't think things could have gone any better for them, other than maybe keeping a clean sheet. But Villa's attack was threatening. Um they and and doing it in front of your home fans. We we were talking about it. There's probably not many places you'd pick to play, um, you know, or you'd pretty much want to play anywhere else other than St. James Park on opening day, because uh, the atmosphere there is insane. And that team just came out with an absurd amount of energy. If I was a Newcastle supporter, I would be I wouldn't be able to sleep all week thinking about their next match because they were really that impressive. Uh, Isak was really really good. Almiron was a problem. That midfield of Tenali, Bruno, and Joel Linton is scary, physical, quick. I, I really don't – I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I was blown away by the performance. And on the other end, Villa, you know, did not have what they needed to, especially defensively. They were all over the place. But Newcastle completely exposed them. And I think they got overlooked a lot this summer. You know, they, they finished third last year. They were – a top four team and qualifying for the Champions League, and no one's really talked about them this year. Villa got a ton of attention, and Newcastle just played them off the pitch. And uh, you know, hats off. I don't, I don't know what you have to add, but it was a tough one to watch. But uh, you know, as like trying to take an objective look at it, man, would that have been a fun match to be a Newcastle supporter watching? It was crazy. Yeah, I think. Um... So I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think quick fact check. I think they finished fourth last I year. I think you're right. Right? I, right when I said that. But either way, top four. It was really close. <laughs> top four, yeah. It, yeah, it was. I think because I, I had I thought United finished. I think third, they did. Just just get ahead of them at the end of the season. Yeah. But I, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, Newcastle were great. Villa were poor. Um, I, and it, it was interesting because these two sides played each other. Um, and Newcastle were on the preseason tour in America, just like Villa were. And so I was sort of interested to see some of the teams play, having watched them do the Premier League Summer Series. And I thought that uh, both Brentford and Newcastle, who who I watched a few times in the Summer Series, really elevated their play relative to how I saw them play in the Summer Series in the States. Um, and, and they looked fitter. Uh, they looked... Uh, with their starting eleven, it was a noticeable step up, and and so I think that I think that really helps you when you're starting a season and you do have a really good idea of who your starting eleven is. I think some of the teams who struggled a little bit on opening day don't quite know their best eleven, and yeah, it's easier. I think it's easier said than done. Um, but but I I don't know it, on the theory of of winners. I think a lot of the winners were managers who confidently know their best 11. I think the only side that really kind of doesn't know their best 11 100% and came out and played pretty well um, a Premier League opening day weekend was um, was Chelsea. 
Um, but I think every other side that, you know, doesn't really know their best 11, like didn't really look that good, right? Sheffield United kind of don't really know who their best 11 is. They didn't play that well. Everton have a bunch of guys kind of floating in and out of the squad, still doing transfer business. Um, uh, and, and Villa, Villa is a good example of a side that doesn't really know its best 11 still doing business, uh, in, in the summer window. So, um, yeah, and I thought New- so. I thought Newcastle looked just way better than they did in the summer, and and really just fitter, and uh, and their best eleven was a, a, a level above um, what the way they looked in their in their fixture in their preseason fixtures. And it's just a good reminder that like those preseason games, I was kind of getting hyped because Villa just kind of pumped every team that they played, and they're just yeah they're <laughs> they're just preseason games, and so it's a good reminder I think with Villa winning all their preseason games and then getting pumped five one to not take so much stock in preseason games. And I think I bought into that with the whole like Premier League summer series being on Peacock and everything. Yeah, I watched a lot too, and um, I, I had a lot of similar observations. So I guess what would you say now after watching that without you know taking with a grain of salt this one match, but what would you say your expectations are for Newcastle going forward this season? Um, where, where do you think they could finish? Yeah, I actually don't think the results – does I and I'll say I say this to it's easy to say well it's hard to say after week one but I I, I don't think the result really does that much for me in terms of like my, my perception of Newcastle um, I I think they're a good side I do think that they're a level below personnel wise they're a level below the traditional top six right and can they punch above their weight again uh, in finishing the top four I don't think so. Um, I, I just don't think there's the quality in the squad. Like, I don't think you're going to get there with Dan Byrne playing at left back. I don't know if Fabian Scher, you know, is, uh, you know, and Sven Botman is a pairing that's going to consistently get you Champions League football. Um, I think Trippier is really classy. Um, I, you know, I don't know about Joel Linton. Um, and 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 the and the front and the and the front three. Like, I, I don't rate Miguel Almiron. I know he has his. He had his his kind of period last season. Um, so I, I just don't think that the squad is there compared to some of the the, the big six teams. So I, I still have them finishing right around kind of where they did last year. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they finished anywhere from fifth to seventh. I think especially when the Champions League campaign kicks in, um, you're going to see that squad, that that the depth of that squad be really tested. I, I think I'd push back on that a little bit just because we, we saw last year, they were one of the better defensive teams in the league for almost the entire season. So I think Botman and Shark, I think they they are a really good center back pairing. I agree. Dan Byrne is he leaves a bit to be desired as a left back, but then you pair him opposite Trippier, who is going to push a lot, and I think it kind of works for them. And I'd, I'd put their midfield three up there with pretty much any midfield in the Prem. And then I think they they've added some depth with their attack. You know, I actually I thought Anthony Gordon was really really good. I don't like him, but I thought he was very good. I think Elmeron is a good player. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's good enough where like you, you expect this guy to be starting every match and, and getting a ton of results, but he had a very good season last year. Harvey Barnes, really good signing. I actually think Jacob Murphy can play a decent role on a, on a pretty good team. I don't think he's great, but and then you still have some depth in the midfield. You've got Willick, Longstaff, Elliot Anderson, who they like a lot. Um, I would be surprised if they're outside the top six I, I i agree that they're they're not really like title contenders in my eyes and i don't want to put too much stock into one performance but just looking at that squad i i do think they are built to have a, a good team and a good season um 
And uh, just the, the way that they play, they they seem very well coached, organized. And you're right, you mentioned they were fit. Uh, Villa did not look fit. They, Newcastle mm-hmm. ran them off the pitch, right? Like they were, those guys were dragging the last 15, 20 minutes of that match. Um, I, I like Newcastle uh, for this season. I do want to keep my expectations a little bit measured, but I don't know. I think in terms of the squad and the, and the depth that they've built, I, I would disagree with you a little bit there. Yeah, I, I also think there's a little bit of an at-home effect with Newcastle, right? Like For when sure. you're playing at St. James's Park. I mean, that's just – it's an it's an awesome f- – fixture for them to start the season playing a team with a lot of hype at home um it's just it's hard to go away to st james's park especially opening day weekend when everyone's pumped up and wins so i don't know i think it i think that squad is going to be tested right like when you know almiron's out and or you know you've got you've got a thursday sunday game and you've got almiron followed by like jacob murphy or you've got joel linton who you need to protect minutes with and you're bringing in long staff like i don't know i I don't know if this this squad the squad doesn't do it for me, and uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of a, an opening day bump. But who knows? I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll you know. we'll keep an eye on them. Um, let's kind of in a similar vein. Let's talk about one of the other winners. I, I and this is another one that I put in here. But Brighton, um, they obviously they they had a a pretty comfortable fixture to start the season. Um, so it's another one where it's like I don't necessarily want to put too much into that performance specifically um but very dominant really really dominant um yeah you're playing luton who like is basically everyone's favorite to to finish last in the league but this is a brighton team that's been absolutely raided by chelsea mainly chelsea uh over the past (laughs) 12 18 months they just lost McAllister and casado for combined like 170 mil and they come out and just put in a dominating performance again matoma march Jao pedro but was not very good but he did get on the score sheet um they started james milner and <laughs> right back they just they just replace guys so so well on the cheap every time a stupid is probably like the next guy now that is going to be linked with everybody and, and people are going to want him he has been unbelievable towards the tail end of last season and then a really good performance again um, this is another team that's kind of in that Newcastle, Villa, Brentford zone of there's a lot of expectations. They could be pushing for, uh, you know, maybe trying to push towards top four finish or like on the, the outskirts of that. What are your uh, what are your thoughts with Brighton? I just think if you're a Brighton fan, like you've just got to be so happy all the time. Like your team plays brilliant football you retain possession you attack in numbers your your club is run so sustainably and economically they buy people like villa bought someone today from egypt some 17 year old guy he's going to come to academy and i'm half thinking is villa buy him like oh he you know he'll come to our academy and flare out and or you know be playing for blackpool in like five years um and if it was Brighton buying this 17-year-old from Egypt, I'd be like, dang, this guy is going to be Mo Salah in five years. And Brighton just found him. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just like everyone everyone who they seem, their scouting team, everyone who they seem to pick up is is just turns out to be so good. They just don't miss. Their hit rate is astonishing. And they don't spend big either. You know, like none of these guys are they're spending a lot of money on. Um, like Casado is, it's ridiculous how much money they just got for this guy. 
And I think they they found a sucker in Todd Bully. Like he'll pay anything to get anybody from Brighton. He's rated their staff, rated their their squad, um, and they're like, you know what? Yeah, we we will sell our best young player for 110 million. That sounds fine. Go for it. And it, and it just doesn't seem like there's any reason for them to panic. They lost two awesome players in the midfield, and they're just like, yeah, no, we'll we'll be fine. We'll replace them. No big deal. We got young guys we can put in there. It's it's crazy. It blows my mind. Yeah, I will say watching that game, and I did watch that game kind of closely. Like there were ta- there were moments, especially in the first half, like Brighton do they play this obviously that box in midfield that's well documented, and they sort of make you press to then play around your press. Um, and I there were some moments in the first half, particularly before Brighton got their goal, where Luton looked Luton got some high quality chances looked really dangerous on the break and this is Luton right but um I I do think that when I I I think when they because they are downgrading in central midfield um and they won't have Caicedo and and no McAllister like Pascal Gross isn't the fleetest of foot playing in, in central midfield um and I do think that you know I I I think they're gonna get in some like some gunslinging games this year and be outgunned. A yeah, bit. I, I think they'll um, go through some spells where they're they're a little bit shakier. I, I do think that it's going to make an impact losing those guys, but it's just my point is more so, and this is kind of what you were talking about, just being a Brighton fan. It's like you just have so much faith in the way that that club is run right now that you can sell your two best players right before the, the season kicks off, one of them, and they're like, yeah, no, it, it, that sucks, but we'll be all right. And like most uh, teams would pro- be in I'll- pure panic at that point. I'll pose the same question back to you that you had with uh, with me in Newcastle. Where did they finish then? I mean, if I'm looking at these squads, I think Newcastle is a step up from Brighton on paper in terms of just their squad. Um, managers, I, I like Deserby a lot. I also have always been a big Eddie Howe fan. Um, I, I think that they're maybe like one rung below Newcastle right now. So I would say kind of what you said about Newcastle, probably in that five to seven range. Um, I mean, anything below seventh in the table, I think, would be a, a little bit of a disappointment for Brighton this season. Yeah, I agree. I have them at um, seven or eight. Yeah. Um, all right. And then, so this this is a little bit more recent. And I didn't get to watch the full 90 on this one. I did watch highlights. Um, but United today. Um, so you, I don't know if you got to see more of it. You can maybe talk more about the overall performance. But one of the winners I had was United in their, their battle against VAR. Um, 95th minute or so, ball comes into the box. Onana absolutely destroys a dude. I mean, he just was, comes in full tilt, arms flailing, like a full-on tackle. And uh, VAR, everyone on Twitter is like, penalty, 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 and nothing. And uh, one nice little 1-0 win for United in a match against a Wolves team that I know neither of us have been very big on at all. And uh, they, they sneak away. And Onana had six saves, too. So I have to imagine that Wolves were very much in this one the whole way. And then United get bailed out by VAR. And you you just know that if the, the squads were flipped there and it was uh, United going in for a penalty shout, they're going to give it. It, it, was, it. it was kind of disgusting. And it had nothing to do with the fact that that cost me a win in fantasy. Nothing to do with that. Uh, it was more just this, the integrity of the game was broken, in my opinion. 
Right, right. Uh, yeah, the, so Wolves looked really good. Um, I thought Gary O'Neill um, has got the squad very quickly sort of in order. I, I mean, he's doing a lot of really good work in the last, you know, in the last 18 months. Yeah. Um, he's rose yeah. He's rose to, to relevance for sure. Um, so I give him a lot of credit. I, I, I actually had when Wolves sacked Lopetegui, I thought that they would go down and then very quickly, like after that game, and it might be an overreaction. After that game, I'm like, "Ooh, Wolves!" Like, Mate- uh, like Mateus Cunha um, looked really good. Um, Kilman and Dawson looked very strong in central defense. Um, and you look at their team; they've got uh, Mateus Nunez. Like, uh, they've, they they've got they, yeah, they got a pretty squad. good team. I know they've got yeah, good. Yeah, they've got it's some like there's no way to say it. I I I don't know. They weren't very good last year, and I still think, despite the fact that like half their squad is Portuguese, they don't seem like a full squad that meshes really well on paper, but they've got quality players in there and Gary O'Neill might be the guy to do it. I was going to ask you about him because he got a bit of a raw deal with Bournemouth last year, did an unreal job to keep them up and uh, they let him go at the end of the season. I was very surprised by that. I don't know how that's going to affect Bournemouth, but um, you know, I think overall, if you're Wolves, you could do a lot worse than bringing in a guy who has, you know, immediate Premier League experience. He's managed against all these teams recently. Just did a really good job with the team that was on paper, like should have gone down and almost the entire season. Bournemouth is in our bottom three, right? Like you and I consistently all year were like, they're going to go down, they're going to go down. And Gary O'Neill did a great job. So I think it was a, a pretty smart move. And also the timing of it was weird, but to get him in before the start of the season uh, just creates a little bit more continuity there. And yeah, I mean, they definitely... They rose a lot in my estimations after today because you and I were not high on them at all. I know we've had a lot of conversations about how we thought that they were one of the favorites to go down, and it's just like that immediately. They they lose 1-0, and we're thinking, all right, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe these guys have a little more fight in them. Um, on the flip side, United, uh, I don't really know what to make of it. I, I mean, Onana, like you can, you can talk about the, the penalty shout, but he was really, really good other than that. And I think that's going to be a big, big upgrade for them over De Gea. And I like them bringing in Mason Mount. I know it might not be the flashiest signing of the summer, but I think it was a smart piece of business. And they still have a couple of spots. I, I, that, Man United starting Anthony and Garnacho doesn't really do it for me. But I think this, they're going to be a team that is hanging around the top four for pretty much the whole season. And a lot of it'll be on the defensive work more than the attacking front. I don't know. What what are you what were your impressions of them? Yeah, I think the I agree with you on um there's a big big drop off in the attacking quality once you get outside the starting eleven. Because that was United's best eleven tonight, except for when Hoyland comes into the team, goes up top at center forward, and then Rashford kind of moves out to the left and Garnacho is no longer in the starting lineup. Um I mean you're seeing Eric Tonhan really Eric Ten Hag really make his bed with Anthony and whether or not Anthony's going to be the guy on the right wing. I know you're not a fan. Um, I'm not. But that's fan. where that, that that's where I th- I see United being a little bit short whereas you jump to Liverpool and Liverpool have just a slew of attackers of Salah, Diaz, Jota, Gakpo, um Nunez, right? Like all these guys who I think I mean I'm pretty sure all those players who I, who I just said I'd probably say are better footballers on the right side than Anthony. Um, maybe like all five of them. So, um, yeah, I think that's where they that's where they fall short. Um, but they got the win at home. You know, they did what they needed to do, and 
kind of willed themselves to a victory. But the, it, people forget how bad United were in the back half of last season. And they sort of did the same thing today where, like, they kind of manage games through. Um, but they don't, you know, they're not putting, you know, they're not winning like Brighton did, right? They're not putting, they're not winning 4-1. They're not putting five past you like Newcastle did. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they fare this season. For sure. I just think with them, they are built very strongly from the back. I, I like their defenders. I think they're midfield now. When you add Mountain there, um, you got Casemiro. Like when you, you compare them to Liverpool, right? And Liverpool has all these flashy attacking players. But Liverpool's midfield three is outrageous what they started. It was McAllister, Dominic Sobelzai, and Cody Gakpo. Like two of those guys are not midfielders, <laughs> I, I, in my opinion. Like that is a. And, and their defense is not that strong. And I, I, I actually, I think I'm higher on Liverpool than a lot of people are this year. But they're just, those are two teams that are built totally differently. And I think with United, they're going to have a lot of 1-0 results, maybe a 0-0. And they're going to have some matches where they have to rely on, you know, Bruno or Rashford to create something kind of magical. Because I don't think that they're going to be a team that's constantly creating chances throughout most of their matches. But I, I do think they're going to keep a lot of clean sheets. I think they're going to end up being one of the best defenses in the Premier League this year. Second year in the league for Martinez, who I, I think is a pretty good player. Rafael Varane, you know, he stays healthy this season. You add Onana. Luke Shaw had a good year last year. Montesacas had a bit of a resurgence. So I think they have a really good foundation there. It's just kind of a question of, like, where are some of these goals going to come from? And if Hoyland can come in and score, you know, 13, 15 goals, that answers a lot of the problems because they were starting about Weghorst for a good chunk of the season last year, and he didn't do anything. He was useless up there. It's almost like you're adding a whole new player. And I don't know about Hoyland. He hasn't really proven anything. Uh, I think it was a bit of a, a crazy signing by them. But if he can come in and make an impact, then I think that team can be pretty good pretty early. Um, speaking of signings, that was one of my other things for winners here. So just new signings making an impact. I, I mentioned Tenali and Barnes both having a really big impact in that match for Newcastle. Uh, in the same match, Diaby scored a very nice goal for Villa, and he was really, really good, I thought. Probably Villa's best player. You have Onana, who uh, come up with six saves and a clean sheet in his debut. James Madison with a couple of assists. Um, and, uh, you know, in a, in a Harry Kane-less Spurs squad. So... A lot of guys coming in and, and immediately making an impact on the score sheet. Uh, anyone stand out to you in particular or guys that you think like are going to really, really fit in and, and push on for their teams this season that are new faces? Yeah, I, it's funny. I actually don't think Jao Pedro impressed, but I think he's going to get quite a few goals for that t- for that team sitting in the number 10. Just his XG was really strong. He fi- he was just constantly in dangerous positions. He's on penalties. And he's going to get a good amount of goals for that Brighton Brighton team. And I think if they figure out what to do between Welbeck and Ferguson up top, um kind of Pedro's playing kind of right behind that 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 striker. I think Pedro could could bang 20 goals this season, um which which could be pretty crazy. Um I agree with you on Musa Diaby. That was really nice to see. Um and so I was, you know, I was pumped up. Uh, I thought Orsula, uh, which is like a lesser-known guy uh, who's playing up top for she- for Sheffield United, looked really strong. Almost um, had a really nice by- goal, just barely missed the nut on that one. Yeah, I was impressed by his physicality, just like a long, quick, um, just strong player. And then I was I, I was impressed by um, 
some of the the Chelsea boys. Um, you know, I know it's not a new signing, but Carney Chukwameka looked really good in that game. I thought Malo Gusto came on, looked good. Uh, uh, Diasi, yeah, he scored. Um, Diasi scored for for Chelsea, and they just signed him. He just looked like an absolute monster out there. Um, so. Uh, and then at Spurs, I thought um, Destiny Udogi uh, looked pretty good at left back as well. Um, Udogi, I, I might be saying that. Wrong, I think that's right. I thought he looked Something really like strong. That. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I don't think th- I don't think there were many debutants that like. I think there were a lot of players I thought that looked pretty strong on their debut. I don't think like anyone really looked out of their depth. Raul Jimenez hit the post for Fulham. Um, I didn't really see any any debuts that I was like, oof, woof. They look like. They look behind it. I think that just shows kind of like how strong the recruitment is for a lot of these teams and a lot of the recruitment models. And I think some of the teams that recruit a little bit more poorly um, haven't done as much business, right? Like the West Ham of the world, um, you know, haven't done as much business who and who's pissed away a lot of money and and not really got good return on it. Um, And then you did see Chelsea, like some of their big, big players, like, you know, they spent, what, 80 odd million on Mikhail Mudrik, who like comes off the bench for like an eight minute cameo. He just isn't that good of a player, turns out. So... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's it's, it's you know? pretty wild how how much hype there was for him eight months ago, and now he's just like an afterthought in the team sheet. Oh my god, yeah, it was like if Arsenal signed him, they were going to go on and win the league, and then they went and got Trossard, and everyone was like, "Ooh, like should they have spent another fifty million and gotten Mudrik instead of Trossard?" And it's like, <laughs> I don't think uh, so. I mean, from where we from where we sit right now, yeah, v- very much not. I think they um, they dodged yeah. a bullet, yeah. The other winner that I wanted to say say too, and we'll get into this when we talk about losers, but just I thought a winner of the weekend and one thing that I'm really pumped about are is Premier League fans, um, and I don't say that because the Premier League is back, but I say I say that the Premier League fans are a big winner from the weekend because the added time component of these games I think is awesome. I think that uh, people are getting way more value, especially I say fans, but I, especially in person fans. You're getting way more value for your ticket um, in person now than you were getting last year or the year before. You're getting w- much more action um, because of the you know the prevention of time wasting, right? Um, refs are clearly making an effort to speed speed play up, um, carding uh, players much more quickly if they're if they're wasting time, and then tacking on time to make sure that you know there were a lot of games with eight plus minutes, six plus minutes of first half stoppage time, right? Which is like notorious in, in footballing history for just being like a one minute piss away. So um, I think the fans win there. They get they get more bang for their buck. You're paying the same amount of money for an in-person ticket, but you get, you know, five to 10 minutes more action. That's an interesting take. I like that. It's funny though, when you first said Premier League fans, I couldn't get, there's only one thing I thought of. There's nothing to do with what you're talking about. And it's a video that's just been burned into my brain for the past 48 hours. And it's that Newcastle supporter. No one has ever looked more like someone from Newcastle than this dude after Harvey Barnes' goal, where he does like the, the bow and arrow celebration. And this bald dude with no shirt on, huge gut, just does it with the biggest smile on his face, does it right back to Harvey Barnes. And I'm just watching my team get kicked in 5-1. And I'm like, man. That guy is everything right now. I, I loved watching that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of energy in some of the stadiums. But I agree. That's that's a good take. I think uh, I think it worked out really well right away. I think we're, we're going to see a lot more added time. And we're also probably just going to see players not time waste as much because that's they, they kind of know what they're going to get with that. And um, right. we, we can talk, too. Um, it it kind of goes into one of the losers because we'll transition over there. The 
um, the discipline on that. I know you you had written this one down about the refereeing, uh, but I think they kind of go hand in hand. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I love it. Um, so one of the things that would happened uh, this weekend in the Premier League is any player who signals to a referee for a card to be given, right? So the kind of players will like imaginal and wave this imaginary card at a ref if they think a foul warrants a card, like asking for the referee to book somebody. That player now gets booked for asking for the yellow to be given, right? So if you wave your hand, wave an imaginary card at the referee, like yellow card, yellow card, that player now gets booked. Um, so it happened to a few different players throughout the weekend. Um, it happened to Bruno Gumaes in the Villa uh, Newcastle game. It happened to Nicholas Jackson in the Liverpool Chelsea game, and I love it. I sometimes I I watch the behavior of players around the referee, and I. And this is this sounds so old school, but I think like what a terrible example that is for kids and oh, kids trying to play the game. Um, and then you see these kind of bratty, you know, you see these prospects come through, these good young players who like are going down and flopping and and you know asking for fouls. And it sort of, it, I think that is a big thing. Crowding the referee, yeah. and, like signaling for cards, is a big thing that kind of like. It just is that you, you. It signals that hey, this kind of dissent is tolerable, and then that spirals into other sort of poor sportsmanship acts. And so I love that they're just drawing the line, saying hey, this one specific thing, like you know, it's really specific. If you do it, you get a card, and just don't do it, and you won't get carded. Right, and, and not only tolerable, but like to an extent beneficial because you know yeah. I think if there's the players are doing it because they think it is going to make an impact on. Maybe not that call, but maybe the next one. And mm-hmm. I think one of my biggest pet peeves with Premier League and footy in general is the crowding of the referees. There's a lot of teams that you'll see four or five guys after a whistle gets blown immediately run up and swarm the referee. And I think that's just disgusting behavior. It, it looks bad. It like the referees, they get a lot of heat and sometimes deservedly so, but they need to be protected as well. I mean, they're in a tough, yeah. tough spot out there making these calls, all these eyes on them, and every single call they make is going to be criticized by half the people watching. And right. they, they need a little bit more protection. And I think these rule changes are giving them a little bit more leeway to actually control the game and push back on some of this this childish behavior and dissent. So I, I completely agree with you. I think all those changes so far seem to be really positive. Um you know, one weekend, but you could already feel the impact of them. So it seems like they, they will make a bit of a difference. Yeah. And I did see what you're referring to as well. I thought Premier League referees like were much more particular and specific around demanding communication with the captains of teams, kind of like waving away all other players and issuing quick yellows if they if they were crowded. And so I, I think, that uh, you know, I hope that continues. Um, and I hope that, um, you know, they they because they should there should be a line of communication between the on-field players and the officials, but the officials have taken the stance. Uh, it seems this season very firm stance that I will communicate with the captain. That's it. That's, Nobody else. That's a good way to do um, it too. The cap. There's a captain so, for a reason. Which well, yeah, which which can maybe kind of segue into a whole nother debate around you know is it beneficial if your captain is a central midfielder because he's going to spend more time around the referee? I, I don't know. We could probably talk about that. That's interesting. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I I think. Uh, I, I don't it's, uh, goalkeepers seem historically to be like a popular pick for captainship. And I don't, I don't like it. I mean, they do a lot of communicating obviously with their players and their back line, but having a, a central midfielder as your captain, I think that that's interesting. It's not something I've really thought of, but it makes sense. Yeah. 
it, it, like I think of Joel Ward, like I saw him run a few times to go talk with the referee in the new ca- in the in the Sheffield Crystal Palace match, and he kind of r- trots up from right back, like gets into the middle of the pitch, and it and he kind of runs back into position because you know Czech Dukure, who doesn't speak great English, is trying to you know is being talked to by the referee or, or they're looking for a foul or something. So, yeah. um, but o- o- overall, I'm pumped, and and that's I, not to go full circle back to the whole Onana incident, but that's kind of where I like I watched that Onana incident, and I was like, this sucks. Like, it's probably a penalty. Yeah. Like, would I have called it? Yes. If if it didn't get called on the field and the referee's going to say it's not an indisputable error, like I, you know, it's just a collision where like was Kal- uh, Sasha Kalajdzic was he going to head the ball into the goal? Would it have been a goal like if that didn't happen? No, right? It was <laughs> it like so I don't know. Um, it would have been a goal, but that's that's what's t- difficult about VAR in general for soccer is we've seen replay in so many other sports. And a lot of other sports have a lot of black and white calls, right? Were you inbounds? Were you out of yeah. bounds? Were you safe or were you out? And if you slow it down enough, you can you can get the right call every time. And mm-hmm. you just there's so many judgment calls, and a penalty is always going to be a bit of a judgment call. There's there's never been a penalty where it's a hundred percent certain that was or wasn't a penalty. Like there's always a little bit of a gray area there. And so when you go into the the conversation about, oh, it needs to be a clear and obvious error, needs to be indisputable. It's like, well, then you're probably never going to change a call because I don't really think you're going to get that many opportunities where you're like, yep, yep, I completely blew this. It'll happen every once in a while, but it basically just gives them an out to, to stick with what's on the pitch. And now as fans, we're watching three minutes of replays on VAR, making our own decisions, and they're like, oh, and nothing, nothing changed because we weren't positive it was a mistake. So it's it's tricky for it to make a huge impact when you don't give them like the the default is all right. Well, we're gonna keep the call unless like we completely botched this thing because like I think the Onana one is definitely a penalty. I don't I don't really think you can even argue it. Um, you know, whatever the context of was it gonna be a goal this or that? Like he just drilled a dude and got nowhere near the ball. Like I think it's a penalty. And if, yeah. if the argument I, is oh well, it's not a clear and obvious error it's like well then what is because it just it just makes it it, it makes the var impacts less less important i think it, it just, and all it does is just slow down the game then you just don't even have var if you're not going to make changes yeah which which is fair i i think it was a penalty as well but i i, I guess what maybe it's my opt you know I'm trying to be an optimist after this villa result this weekend but i do i do feel watching you know, like watching the games, I just encourage that with the timekeeping, right? Like it's like if they can't get all the calls right because it's not black and white. So, the, you know, the improvement of VAR is sort of on the back burner. Well, what other things can we take to strengthen the game and make the game better? Um, and I think the changes around the yellow cards, if you're asking for a yellow card, you get carded. Um, I think that's a positive change. I think tra- keeping track of all the time wasting is a huge positive change, a really big one um, that the Prem took from watching the World Cup. What a great spectacle the World Cup was, right? So many of those World Cups games were going seven, eight, nine, eleven minutes in extra time. And uh, and they were it was a great tournament, right? The World Cup was absolutely electric this past year. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they the referees have taken and the, the the officials, I guess the Premier League as a whole, as well as the officials have done a couple things to advance the game, I think make the game on field game a better product. Um, but yes, I think I'm I'm kind of past this place of you know, 
throwing around VAR because I've, I, I don't know, maybe I've just come to terms. We've with talked about it like, enough, obviously, this, but it's just yeah, like, that's what the conversation yeah. always comes back to. It's, you know, the narrative this right. weekend is probably not like, Oh, the added time was great. Oh, they're giving out more yellows, like things like that. It's, it's just, Oh, they blew that call in the United game. United gets every right. call. And that's what it always comes back to is the mistakes. But, but you're yeah. right. Overall positive weekend with that. But you know, like, like, a, like imagine if Sky, imagine if Sky or NBC instead of tweet, instead of like tweeting out or reporting, like, is this a penalty? And like talking through, because that's what they do. These the news, the coverage is like, this is controversial. What do you think? Yeah. Instead of just being like, hey, you know, they what if hot take? They were just like, hey, the referees have a really difficult, you know, or this is a really difficult job. Um, let's. You know, uh, th- this is what happened today. I, you know, I don't know, but um, instead of making it like a, are you which side of the fence are you on? Like, yeah, and then everyone on Twitter would be like, "You guys are lame," but, you know. Yeah, right. They would they would start making like really bad nicknames about how like Man United has like completely like infiltrated Sky Sports, and they would like come. Yeah, it's just like yeah. the internet's so stupid, and fans are so stupid that they're, they're not going to give the refs any credit. But it just is what it is. Let's move on. We got a couple more losers. One of them I have here, and we talked about this a little bit um, on our own outside the pod, is uh, anyone trying to win the Golden Boot for the next 10 years? Because I don't know if you got to watch as much of the City game as I did on Friday, but Erling Holland, I think he had six touches in the first half, two goals, both great finishes. He got berated by Pep at halftime. Um, Pep just laid into him, walked into the dressing room, and then shoved the camera out of the way. Um, Pep also picked up a yellow. A lot of managers getting yellows as well. But um, Holland is just, he's inevitable, man. It is, it, there's just nothing you can really do. I, I thought City were pretty sloppy overall. I thought uh, Rodri was best player on the pitch by far. But other than that, like they really weren't great against Burnley. And they won 3-0 very comfortably. And partially because Holland just got two chances that both looked like they were going to be tough and just absolutely buried them with no issues whatsoever. Um, I know I had a bet on him for uh, first goal scorer. It took three minutes and five seconds, I think. It's just he's the most like automatic thing I've ever seen. And it doesn't seem like any other forward in the world is even close to his level. Uh, it's it's pretty shocking how he's just been able to keep up this form so consistently. Um, I think he had like five or six matches coming into this week without a goal. But you just don't even really think about that. You just go out and expect him to score every time. City playing against a newly promoted team, but Burnley, you know, they definitely have the most hype out of the three teams that have come up. And it was just like a pretty meh subpar performance from them, 3 0 away. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I, I just kind of, as you were talking there, I started thinking of, yeah, like who else would win the Golden Boo? And you're right. Like it's going to be Holland in the Prem. And, and we're not a Bundesliga podcast, but I also, I, I just started thinking like, did Harry Kane leave for the Bundesliga because he knows he's not going to win the Golden Boot, you know, in the next five years? Like he knows his career, he's never going to win the Golden Boot again, and so he jets off to Germany. Let's say Harry Kane puts forty in for Bayern this season, which he could very well do across all competition competitions for Bayern, given how dominant they are in the Bundesliga. All of a sudden, does the Harry Kane versus Erling Holland debate like creep back onto the table, like? Kane went abroad and Bayern, you know, and, and scores 40 goals. Holland didn't do that in the Bundesliga. All of a sudden, does that become a debate between Holland and Kane or who are the best two center forwards in the world? He kind of did know. do that in the Bundesliga, though, at such a young age, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're different players. They're really, really different players. You know, Kane is 
Kane is like I don't think of him as like a striker. I think of him more as a forward. He he's wearing number nine for Bayern, but he was always at number ten for Spurs, and he would he would play with his back to the net, pick out passes. He was a really good playmaker. Holland doesn't do any of that. Holland just scores and scores and scores. So I think they're they're a lot different. Um, but that was one of our other losers, was Spurs fans, because of the the Harry Kane saga. And so we can talk about him now too. I don't think that's on Harry Kane's mind. I mean, he's been the best goal scorer in the, the Premier League for the past five or six years. I think the the one thing that came up a lot was the Premier League record, the Alan Shearer record. There's a lot of memes yeah. and stuff about Shearer like flying into Germany himself and all this stuff. Couldn't wait to get him out of there. Um, I think Harry Kane will. There's a decent chance I think he comes back to the Premier League uh, before his career is over and gets some more. But I don't think he's thinking about that. I do, I do think he's thinking about, you know, I my career is running out and I haven't won anything. I don't think he cares about golden boots. I think he cares about winning some trophies. And I don't really have a ton of respect for going to Bayern to win a trophy because it's just been so easy for them in the Bundesliga. I know last year they, they struggled, um, but they still came out on top. And, I mean, he'll get he'll get Champions League football there, which he wasn't going to get at Spurs. So that's a big a big plus for him. But I, I don't know. Overall, I guess, what's your impression of his decision? Because it's, it's, it's been a thing for years and years. So many links with United. It seemed like, all, it seemed like he was probably going to stay in the Premier League if he moved. And then Bayern just kind of came in out of nowhere and scooped him. What are your thoughts on the, the outcome of all of it? Yeah, it's super interesting. It, it It's a good reminder of just how much power these players have when they have a year left in their contract, right? So, you know, when you're negotiating your deal as a, as a player, you sort of know, you know, if you sign a four-year contract, you sort of know that you're probably most likely to leave in year three, right? Like in that in that summer before year four, just because if, if, if a club's going to sell, you, so, you know, it's almost like your contracts are like one year less than you're actually signing on for. Yeah. Because otherwise the, the club risks letting you go for, for a free. And that was obviously what, what was at play here at Spurs. And I, you know, I think if, I think, because he had the option to veto the transfer, I think if Spurs keep him for a year, they, they sell him for nothing. And um, I think they need, you know, they need the cash. He's older. I, I think I probably would have done the same thing I don't, if, I, if I was Spurs. Yeah, I don't blame Daniel Levy. I think it was probably the right time. I mean, we just saw Wilk Zaha leave on a free to go to Turkey. We're seeing what's happening right. with Mbappe with one year left on his deal. You're absolutely right. I mean, the players have full power there, and they're they're starting to wield it more than they used to. Um, you know, we had Neymar training with the reserves, basically confirming that he won't be signing a new deal, but also won't be leaving. So he's got a year left on his deal, and he's he's saying with a year left, yeah, I'm not even going to let you cash in now. So it gets yeah. really, really dicey. And, I mean, he's a club legend. You don't really want it to be a really messy breakup there. I think it would tarnish a little bit of what they've done with him and what he's done for the club. So I think it was probably the right move on the Spurs end. It was just more of a little bit of a disappointment with Kane leaving England. You know, you're, you're England's best player. You're pushing for the Premier League goal-scoring record. Bayern just feels a little bit like a cop-out move to me because I think it's just a weaker league. He There's just so much that's guaranteed for him there. He doesn't really have to prove much. Um, I, and I think I think he'll have success there. I think he's a really, really good player. I, don't, I, I think it was probably right for him to eventually move on. It's just sad to see him leave the Premier League. I like watching him play. Yeah. 
Yeah, same. And you're right. He is more of a number 10. And that does that does make you think if you think, you know, who's going to, is he going to return to the Premier League? I mean, he's not, it's not like he's a freak athlete doing a bunch of sprints. Oh, right? yeah. So could he easily return to the Premier League at 34, 35, play for a couple seasons? He plays as that number 10 anyway, doesn't do, you know, isn't the quickest player on the pitch anyway. So it's not like his speed is the thing that leads to all his goals. So yeah, it's all yeah, technical ability and he's been durable. Yeah. So I, I do think that right. he could play for another five years and, and played a pretty high level. And maybe he just comes back to Spurs and, and finishes his career there in a, a little bit of a lesser role. We'll have to see what, what he does long term. But, you know, for, for the time being, we're probably not going to talk about it much because we're not going to watch the Bundesliga. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, all right, last one I had was Villa, which we did talk about them a little bit, but um, mainly the losing part of it just being the Tyrone Mings injury. Uh, we didn't really see – we actually did see another injury too, uh, Timber for Arsenal going down. It looks like he's going to be out for a little bit. Uh, brand new signing, which is tough. Mings looks like he's done for the season. They, they confirmed it was a significant knee injury. You don't really see guys like Tyrone Mings writhing on the pitch in that much pain. It was really, really tough to watch. Stretchered him. It was like a 10 minutes away. And uh, right after they just lost Buendia on uh, last Wednesday in training to also a knee injury. So two of the guys you expected to be playing significant minutes for them, basically done for the season. I guess you'd rather have that happen right now than three weeks from now when the deadline's up. But um, puts them on the back heels. And, uh, man, that was that was one of the tougher injuries to watch just because – you didn't even know what was happening at first. It was like really no contact, just knee gave out. Uh, and now Villa, are, they were in a position where it seemed like they had a ton of depth at center back. And immediately you're like, okay, well, we might have to sign somebody and bring somebody in now because it was probably one of their strongest areas. They concede five goals and they lose probably their most consistent uh, player there on their back line. I don't really know what that means for them long-term, but uh, I just wanted to, to mention that. We don't have to go into too much depth. Yeah, I just think, um, I don't know. I, I It sucks. I feel for Ty, I feel for Tyron Mings. He's been a pro about it, of course, already. He's 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 a he's a quality guy, quality quality guy at the, at the football club. He's had a bad knee injury before earlier in his career, but he's been pretty healthy these past few seasons. Um, so I hope he makes it back. Um, and and strong hopefully before the end of the season but next season for sure i do think villa are pretty deep at center back um fortunately right they they did just sign like a like for like replacement in in tyra mings pal torres and so pal is definitely gonna get a lot of premier league minutes being a left-footed center back um and diego carlos i believe is also a left-footed he center is yeah um yeah and so then and then we've got consa on the other side so those are three players that i think you know any premier league team would feel pretty comfortable putting out um at the center back position you also add calum chambers into your depth i mean those are four you know uh, four players that i think you can make a european and and domestic push with i think you know outside of them um, you're talking about maybe Kamara playing out of position or, um, you know, Matty Cash coming, tucking inside and playing center back. But I think, um, you know, you've got enough, we've got enough depth of that position without, you know, with signing Torres and not losing anybody that Villa should be okay if you're just thinking about their squad and how they fare. Yeah. Any other losers you got or you want to move on over reactions? Yeah. 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 The other, the other loser I'd say from, and this is, this is linear with, I think the, 
are the opposite side of the extra minutes coin. Uh, so I think fans, especially in-person fans, getting more minutes, better product, longer product, more value. Um, I think the starting 11 um, is... Uh, are the, are the biggest losers. So if you're picked in a starting 11, like you're now playing instead of 93 minutes, you're now playing 105. And yes, you know, a lot of that is time wasting, but like you're still moving and you're still active during that time that, uh, that, you know, time wasting is happening, right? Like on a throw and if you're defending a throw and you're still moving your body, you're still on your toes, you're still focused. So a lot of these players, um, I think you're going to see with this, with this time adjustment, you're going to see managers more frequently use all five subs. Um, so it makes sense that this happened on the back of the five sub introduction from last season. Um, and, uh, you're going to see, I think full rosters be tested a little bit more with how much more time is going to be played throughout the course of the season, right? You're, you're talking like five to 10 minutes more every single game, every single week, right? So you play, um, you know, you're playing uh, through 12 game weeks, you've got a whole nother game. So there's effectively probably another three full fixtures are going to be played this season because of the added time, maybe two to three. Yeah. And I mean, we just saw an example of that with Villa um, getting, they had 10 minutes added in the first half and that was mainly because of the Mings injury, but um, you know, they looked gassed, completely gassed at the end of that match. So sure it made a little bit of an impact. Um, you want to do like one or two quick overreactions before we close out? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so one of the ones I was thinking of because this was some chatter in our group text, um, and it was courtesy of Andrew Lockman mainly. Um, an overreaction that Everton are in big trouble. Um, that was the other match that I had on during the Palace at the ten o'clock fixtures, ten o'clock Eastern um, on Saturday. So I got to see a lot of that Fulham uh, Everton match, and Everton played great. Uh, they their XG. It was a 1-0 loss, right? They had a 2.73 XG to Fulham's 1.5. 19 shots, 9 on target. Burn Leno was a busy, busy boy. And uh, if it wasn't for Neil Malpey, they could have won that match 3-1. He is maybe the worst player in the Premier League. So they got to get that figured out. They really, really need Dominic Calvert-Lewin to come back healthy and, and be an impactful player like he was two years ago before he started getting... Uh, you know he's he's really missed so much time the last couple of seasons with injuries. They were they were right there, and I don't love their team on paper, but I do have a lot of faith in Sean Dyche. So I think it's an overreaction um, thinking that Everton are in trouble. I actually came out of this weekend higher on them, um, so I, I don't think that they're going down. But that that it was a reaction I saw is just same old Everton back into a relegation scrap. I think they're going to be a little bit better than people expected. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, over. So your the overreaction is that Everton are bad. So you're. I think the overreaction is wrong in this case. Sometimes they can be right. Sometimes they can be wrong. But I, I think that's an overreaction that I, I am pushing back on. I, I think Everton will be just fine. Yeah, we've talked a lot about um, about Villa and Newcastle, but I think my overreaction from week one, week one is that Villa are toast. Villa are fucked. All their players are injured, and you know they're going to finish outside the top ten. I think Unai Emery will be fine. I think he'll be able to analyze the game and, and understand what went wrong. And I think the scoreline was a little uglier than the game reflected. So I think that's a big overreaction from week one that Villa are in trouble. I would agree. One other one I have, it's also kind of related to bottom of the table, is that all three of the newly promoted teams are in for a battle, a really tough season. And I, I kind of agree with that one. Um, but you, you watch all three teams lose. Um, some tough fixtures in there. You know, you're playing Brighton away for Luton. 
you don't expect Burnley to get a result against Man City. Um, Palace were really solid defensively against Blades, but I mean, Blades were not good. Burnley, maybe a little bit more promising. Um, and Luton has just been maybe like the most popular pick ever to, to be relegated coming into a season. Um, so I think overreaction, all three of those teams are going down would be an overreaction. I think there's a little bit of merit in that. I, you know, the other teams you think about, right? Like Everton would be one, West Ham maybe, Wolves, who we, we just talked about, we're a little bit higher on, uh, Forest, who I thought actually put up a pretty good fight against Arsenal. Didn't think Arsenal really dominated that match as much as they should have. Um, so I don't know where you are looking at the, the relegation picture right now. Burnley hasn't really been talked about much, but I don't really know why. I mean, they, they definitely could go down. So I think all three of those teams are going to have to strap in. And um, there's it's going to be very competitive at the bottom of the table, I think, just like last year. I think we're in for another season where there are a lot of teams with the potential to go down towards, you know, we get into like March, April, and there's going to be a lot of nervous supporters. But I think all three of those teams will be in that conversation. Yeah, I agree. So the three recently promoted teams could all go right back down. Yeah, which would be crazy. And that's why it's an overreaction, because it's been one week. But I, I definitely yeah. can see it. I, I, I think all on paper, all three of those teams are not up to the level of an Everton, a West Ham, a Forest. The, the other teams that would you would think were going to be in that relegation battle, maybe even Palace. Um, so... Yeah, I, I don't really see any of those teams kicking on. Maybe Burnley. I, I do like Vincent Company. I think they have a decent team, but uh, like Blades and Luton are, they're going to be struggling all season long to get results. Yeah, I think my overreaction is uh, an overreaction from week one is that everything is fine at Brighton for this season. Um, and I say that so because you're just completely I, going in on what I said like forty minutes ago, basically then. No, no, no. no. <laughs> my, my whole take was everything's fine. Everything's fine with Brighton. And you're like, I, that's an overreaction. I'm, just, I'm looking at the <laughs> I'm looking I'm looking at their squad on FopMob right now and like they are playing above like they're do you know who the center back who partners with Lewis Dunk is, Chris? Um It was uh that new signing. The is he Belgian or so last year it was Levi Colwell. This year it's a guy from their academy who's been in their team for a little while. Um, he They signed him in 2020. They sent him on loan to SC Heronveen, then on loan to Blackburn in oh. the 2021-22 season. It's Jean-Paul Van Hecke. Yeah, I was mixing him up with uh, the guy that Spurs just signed because they both have names um, like that. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Van de Ven. Yes. Van- Van de Ven, who I thought actually looked really good yeah. um, in, in their game. This is um, another Van And I know they Van have – yeah. Yeah, the, the, I know they have Igor, this other center back, who's, who's supposedly going to play next to uh, Lewis Dunk, and they have Adam Webster. But I'm, I'm looking at that midfield, and it's – and I mean, I guess they have y- Jakob Moder, who's going to come back. Like, Billy Gilmore came off the bench. I don't know. I think Caicedo gone and McAllister gone. I, I do think they're, they've lost some grip in that central midfield. So For sure. I, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I think I just – I, and I think it's probably like a lazy take to just be like, oh, it's Brighton. They're fine. But I do actually kind of believe that. Like, I do think that they're just going <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, they kind of always do. But uh, anyway, I, I think overreaction from week one is like they won 4-1 against, keep in mind, it was Luton 
who haven't been, you know, first time first time they've been in the Premier League in you know, however long they were in the top di- old top division. Yeah, so um, I think they win four one, and they should have. Um, but I don't know. We'll yeah. we'll see. I, I have them flowing around the top six. We'll find out. Yeah, I did say like somewhere between five and seven. I don't think that's crazy, but um, no, I, I think that's 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 a reasonable take from you it's just funny because i it's basically the exact opposite <laughs> of what i just talked about with them so yeah our overreaction you know, from week one is everything chris said within the first 10 minutes yeah no i mean we we definitely agree with each other too much sometimes in this pod anyway so it's good to mix it up a little bit and uh you know if i'm if i'm being stupid just go out and say something about it you know right exactly that's what i did yeah um that's i don't really have much else you know we, we kind of we dove into pretty much everything there i think i don't know if you have any final thoughts no uh those are those, yeah i think we concluded with that with our reactions uh gang as always appreciate everybody listening in we're going to be pumping out content a little bit more regularly now that the season's upon us um so as always just goes to show thanks for listening everybody's human thanks guys